Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello everyone and welcome to the Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This episode features my friend Jordan Cooper. You might know him as Blenderhead. He uh, does a soccer podcast for Rotowire and is involved in their Slack chat and is also a big time DFS player. Plays a ton of soccer, plays a ton of showdown slates. And Jordan approached me to do this episode after listening to a lot of my showdown podcasts on the Patreon only version of this show and, you know, a lot of the other DFS centered episodes of the Takecast. And really just wanted to reach out and talk about his process and some mistakes that he sees a lot of people making in large field tournaments and the way they deal with median projections and I think that Jordan's attitude is pretty interesting even if we definitely don't see eye to eye on a lot of topics in terms of you know roster construction and how to apply your bankroll in DFS and a lot of those things I think Jordan's results kind of speak for themselves you know he is actually one of the few DFS players who has posted his uh you know his his tax forms his uh I think it's a a 1099 from DraftKings on Twitter uh you know because he's not afraid to show that he is a profitable DFS player of course, if you like the show, you can always find it uh, on iTunes. You can leave a rating and review if you want to support it. And if you really like the show, you can join the Patreon, which gives you bonus episodes of the show. It uh, as well gives you uh, specific showdown slate analysis. I do podcasts for all the showdowns for NFL Thursday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, and the Saturday games as well now that we're getting closer to the playoffs. And... We have a brand new Discord launch just for the patrons. That's right. Uh, everyone who listens to the show, everyone who is in the, uh, you know, everyone who subscribes to the TakeCast on Patreon, we have a Discord just for those people. And after a quick advertisement, we will get to the show. 
Daily Roto is a mostly proud sponsor of the TakeCast, a mostly sports podcast. TakeCast listeners can save 10% at Daily Roto with the promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S. If you are playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto will help you improve your daily fantasy results this fall and save time in the process with lineup optimizers, ownership projections, fantasy projections, premium content, and much more. They have all the good stuff that you want to help you make money at sports betting and daily fantasy. Their new lineup optimizer will let you build optimal GPP teams with stacks based on their projections faster than I can punt money off betting on Peter Uline. Sure, you can play the guys that I recommend each week, but shouldn't you also get advice from a proven daily fantasy winner like Drew Dinkmeyer? Yes, I do have better hair than Drew, but I also have his cell phone number, and that makes me a winner almost as much as it makes him a winner of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And it's not just fantasy. They have tools to bet on player props, golf matchups, and a customizable NFL game simulator for this fall. Save 10% with promo code Janus today. All right, everyone, bringing in my guy, Jordan Cooper. You can find him on Twitter at BlenderHD, but apparently it's pronounced Blenderhead. And that's, that's something I learned from listening to the Roto-Wire Soccer Podcast. And as you all know, uh, my favorite thing about this podcast is when people approach me about wanting to be on the show. Jordan did so. So uh, now Jordan's here. How you doing, man? Good, even though you hate me. I only hate you a little bit. I only, I only hate you when I'm listening to the Roto-Wire Soccer Podcast and uh, you, you say right like seven times in a row about something that I, that I don't disagree, that I completely disagree with. What, so what do you disagree with that I say on the podcast? I mean, you know, you, you just are never taking anyone who can get goals. You're just, ne- you're never, you're <laughs> never taking anyone who can get goals in a soccer slate. So well, it's, those are the least predictive things. Those are the most variant things. So I try to take them out of everything when playing double ups. Well, this is a much bigger conversation, but, uh, you know, we might as well get into it because I think, first of all, if you came to listen to the show because you like the episodes with Levitan or with Silver or whatever, and you're, you're football only, some of this will pertain to you and, uh, and some of it won't. But this wasn't even on our prescribed agenda, but this is something I would love to bring up. In the, the current environment of soccer DFS on DraftKings right now, they have raised the price of set-piece takers so high. If you've ever taken a corner kick, you're, you're minimum $6,000. The only one who never, who never goes up after taking a corner kick is key. He's the only one who doesn't ever get priced higher. I actually think that embracing the volatility or the variance of goal scorers, as long as they have some floor is actually a more profitable strategy than it was two years ago. I think it's only not necessarily due to the pricing, but also due to the sharpness of the lobby right like most people most people don't understand if you don't play daily fantasy soccer like you're playing like, against the same 11 people every day in every contest it's not like nfl where the double ups have different people in them the scores are different people make mistakes no one really makes mistakes uh like really once you get to like the ten dollar or higher level in the double ups no one's making mistakes right and you're playing against the same people that you played with three years ago when you started also so, like, when people say that NBA or NFL or any other sport cash games are tough in DraftKings, like, I go, no, 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 no play soccer, where it's like... Yeah, it's, it's like you literally are playing the same guys. Well, I, or the same, it's, it comes down to, like, oh, I like this cheap fullback, and you like that cheap fullback, which changed the goalkeeper, and then whoever gets that right, like, 
the difference in four points can mean in a 23 man double up, the difference of four points could mean the difference of seventh place and 18th place. Well, soccer is, is like honestly a super unique fantasy sport because you have this position goalkeeper where the outcomes are literally like negative six points or like 24 points and like very, and like the expensive goalkeepers. So like the equivalent of like, you know, the Drew Brees or the Clayton Kershaw or whoever, like that expensive position where there's only one of them. Those, those scores can be iterative. Like Drew Brees can get 15, 20, or 25. Clayton Kershaw can get 12, or he can get 18, or he can get 30. But very rare, like, but the outcomes for goalkeepers, especially the expensive ones, like Real Madrid goalkeeper, you put him in there, he's either getting you probably like 14, or he's getting or you three. Nine. Yeah. Or he and, could, uh, basically comes down to you don't get the clean sheet points if you concede a goal, and then it's not worth it to pay up a goalkeeper, but the low price goalkeepers could give up five goals and still end up with 10 points because they've had so many saves. So it becomes the position very similar to defense in NFL where it's like anyone can score a defensive touchdown, except, even giving up 30. The, the big difference is that <clears throat> very rarely will you see defenses swing a slate in NFL. Like it may be, Maybe one time a year, there will be a chalk defense against a bad quarterback who scores two touchdowns and they sack the bad quarterback six times and they're 55% owned in cash or whatever. And like maybe there, maybe there's one slate a year where it'll get swung like that. But really in soccer, it's pretty much every slate. If you, if you hit on your goalkeeper and you get the clean sheet in the win, which is a 10 point bonus. So basically it's the equivalent of getting a goal after the slates end, you, you're, you lock up a win, basically. Right, but you can't predict who that's going to be in the same way that you can't predict what the defense is going to be. Just so happens, like this past week, I had the Packers defense with the 12 points versus having the Redskins. But, but if you would have played any of the defenses... Like, yeah, and you're, I, you're I, played, I, played, play. I played the Chiefs defense, which was similarly priced, similar matchup, yada, yada. They didn't get a defensive touchdown. They were bad. The Packers were good. Right. So, I mean, but it comes down to the decision-making process in which making that selection doesn't matter as much as the other decisions that you make. And that's why I approach DFS. I, I get regularly annoyed on Twitter when I do periscopes of people asking me questions, not just, I mean, because I play NBA DFS, I play NFL DFS, of asking whether or not to play, you know, James Harden or LeBron James and like, are you spending that much time considering two 10 K players that both need to go nuts in order to make a difference in the, in the, in the actual, like it's not going to determine your slate. Like if they both put up about 55 points, the difference between one putting up 60 and one putting up 55, like that five point difference shouldn't kill you because you should have made better choices elsewhere. So uh, the, the thing is, is that like we take and I know that you had Cardi on and yeah. this is like to me, I'm 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 the anti Cardi in a way. Yeah, you're uh, not you're not focusing on having the absolute best median projections. That's not right. Well, game. well, the thing is, is that people focus that, that I think you say the two words together and everyone talks about the second word and no one talks about the first word median projections yeah. where it's a range of outcomes where when you say 15 point projection, that can mean 10 to 20. 
that's still a 15-point median projection. It could mean 5 to 25. Yeah. Right? It, it could mean 14 to 16. That would be a great cash game play if, you, if the range of outcomes was only 14 to 16. And right. You're going to get in between high probability of getting in between there. But then people look at a project at sites that have projections where they make their own projections and they have Keenan Allen at 18.2 and they have Julian Edelman at 17.6 at nearly the same price. And then they go, well, Keenan Allen's the better play. And I would say technically you're right from a mathematical perspective on a little smidgen. You're right. But from a range of outcomes perspective, if Keenan Allen put up 12 and Edelman put up 21, like that's not a surprising outcome. That's with actually that's actually within your model. Like like that's literally part of your model. If that ha- you wouldn't say that all oh, the the projections were off. No, the projections were perfect actually, because you have to view it as a median projection. So when you go into fantasy sports, whether daily or season long or anything, when you're analyzing it, like you have to look at it as probabilities. And the thing that you find in society in general in behavioral economics is that people when it comes to probabilities, don't act. They don't rational. understand. Well, they no. don't understand. People, people do not understand probabilities. Like uh, this is actually something that happens all the time for um, what's the weather guy? Michael, Michael Roth, Mike, uh, Kevin, Roth. Kevin right. Roth, Kevin Roth at RG. Basically a weatherman's job is not all that different than a DFS player's job. It's assigning probability to something. And it's a, it's a percentages game the way anything else is. But if Roth gives a game, a yellow and that game ends up getting postponed or delayed or whatever his mentions on Twitter just get destroyed and people call him a fraud and blah, 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 blah. And really all that is saying is he's saying, you know, maybe there is a 7% probability that this game actually gets called off. And it's hard for him to account for all the variables because they're scheduling and decision makers. He'll never have, you know, he'll never have the insight to, and that's a fundamental a misunderstanding of probabilities when people rage at him for a game getting canceled when he says it's pretty likely to go ahead. Just well, because well, something is pretty likely doesn't mean it's a lot going to happen. Well, if you take a look at the of actual probabilities in, in real life examples is I know this sounds convoluted, but if I went to Kroger, my supermarket and they were out of milk, like the milk guy didn't show up in the morning. He's going to be late. He's three hours late. We don't, I go and I like, I can't find any milk. Like I'm, I'm, I'm obviously annoyed, but I'm not like surprised. I'm not like, Oh my God, this is like the, the weirdest outcome ever. But legitimately, if you went into your grocery store every day for five years, it may happen once it may, may once that they're out of milk. So that's like one in 1800. Yeah. One in eighteen hundred. You you come from poker. I come from poker. One. Well, I don't. I no. I don't. I don't come from poker. I. But played, you understand I, it. Yeah, you I played understand. online poker when I was in high school. Okay, but you understand. Like I, I played for a living. I, I mean, I understand that the probabilities assigned one in eighteen hundred is like runner runner straight flush against the set. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's something that if it happened, you'd be telling anyone you've ever known in poker that you saw it happen for like the rest of your life because it's so improbable that someone would lose to a perfect perfect that way yet if the milk was out at Kroger I don't I don't tell all my friends about it but that's the difference in the probabilities of like something that's an 1800 to one shot 
Like, or something even in college football where a team is favored by whatever, 47 points and loses. It's like, well, that's, they're, they're minus whatever, 5,500 on the money line or something like that. It's like a 10, a 5% probability is only one in 20. I mean, one in 20. I mean, that's, that still happens way more often than you think would happen. And then the things that are closer to 50, 50, like imagine in DFS telling, imagine in poker telling someone that uh, in DFS, the best way to get all your money in is on like ace 10 versus Jack eight. Like, which is like a 57% favorite. Yeah. Like, but that's the, but we're now we're describing the edges in DFS. But if you say, I mean, I don't know if I don't, there, player, there are very few people who are good enough to be 57% against anyone else. Like I, I maybe at like the lower stakes, you can definitely be 60, 40 over somebody. But if you're like playing like, uh, like one Oh nine games, just very rarely, are you ever going to be 60, 40 over anybody? Right. But we, but those are the edges in DFS versus poker where like you could, you could get your money in so much better spots. It's the same, it's the same thing that, that, you know, like why you hate me for being a nit in DFS. I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a nit too, but in a very different way is like, I just like, I, and I talked about this on, uh, on the last episode of the show. I'm actually not sure when I'm going to post this one. I talked about it with Joe Holka, but basically like I don't play DFS for a living. I like have income that comes in outside of it. This is like, I buy sports tickets. I buy like whatever, like dumb commemorative shit off eBay with DFS money. And so I actually should be way less of a net than I am. I should be like jamming it in. I should be entering bigger contests. I should be playing way more tournaments and I'm, and I'm really not. So, so maybe I'm too much like you. Well, I mean, I'm doing it for an event. I mean, I'm playing, this is, this is not my living, but it's a substantial portion of my income. Right. But it, to me, it's an, it's, am, I'm playing in a way where it's like, do I put my bankroll into doing this or do I put it into an index fund on the stock market? Like what's, what's the better return? If, can I get an 8% return playing DFS or a 5% return? That, like, so I need that. Well, the, the thing hey. about DFS is that that return is going to, that return is not going to be iterative, especially if you're playing tournaments, that return is likely going to be, you're going to be pretty, like if you're a good player, you're a good player who knows to avoid like making dumb mistakes. You have access to good projections. Likely you're going to be pretty close to break even or maybe losing to the rake or you're going to be good or you hit a tournament score here or there. And that makes that it's like goalie scoring. It makes all the difference getting that one or two bumps from winning or like placing high in a tournament. Right. But in the difference between poker and DFS is that in poker, like, I could get all my money in like at the end where someone's willingly able to call me mm-hmm. when I have the nuts and like, there's no more cards coming out. Like there's no chance that I lose this hand. It's a matter of how much money can I make on this hand versus am I going to lose or with one card to come, you're a 93% favorite and your opponent believes that they're actually ahead. So they willingly put in their whole stack, even though they're drawing to like a 20 to one shot. In DFS, we don't have the opportunity to, at the end of the slate, right, me to go, you want to bet an extra $100 on whether or not I have a better score than you? Like we right, have to yeah, it's all, it's, it. all, it's all predetermined. Right, so, how, so with that much variance where the biggest edge you could have is maybe 60-40, like why am I going to play like 10% of my bankroll a slate? Like I, 
it's more likely you do that in poker, if anything. Even though well, I, I play, I play way less than ten percent in every. Well, slip. people say ten percent, and I laugh at that because I play under one percent. Yeah, I play. I play at any given time. At any given time, I have, you know, three, four, five thousand on DraftKings, and I'm like, in you know what in NFL, and just because I'm so confident, I will never get that wrecked in NFL. I will go over ten percent, but that's I would never do that in a soccer slate. Right, but you also your bankroll is not just what's on DraftKings. It's just like what you oh, set it, aside. If my, yeah, if it's my life roll, it's like it's like under one percent. Right, but but that but then you then you're closer to me. That's kind of well. well I just I think, think keeping your if you're if you don't play DFS professionally, keeping part of your life roll on a daily fantasy site is like so suboptimal. Right. Well, it's better to just you could put it into like a money market account. Better more so that you're going to beat DFS or a, a mutual fund or buy gold or buy Bitcoin. <laughs> I actually, I this is a this is a great. I have no idea your thoughts on Bitcoin. Do you do you own any? Do you think it's dumb? Do you like what's your what's your thought on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? I, I don't even pay attention to it. It's it's it has it it doesn't satisfy utility theory, so I can't believe in it. It does. It it has no. It has no utilization. It the example that 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 I at least I view Bitcoin as on why the technology could be useful, but it's a sham from a utility theory perspective. Like, well, using it like, using it for transactions, using it for payments is like dumb and bad. Well, but but the even if it was. Like I'm, I'm a big studier of behavioral economics. Like that's what how I treat DFS as a game. It's not has nothing to do with sports. But Bitcoin is the same way. Where to me, Bitcoin is would be similar if we had a construct. If I could build this story of there's an arcade. You used to go to an arcade, maybe not you, Davis, but I went to an arcade. No, there was there was a there was a, an entertainment center in Salina, Kansas. Okay, okay, I'm 39. I've gone to an arcade before, but a lot of arcades you put in your coins and then you give you they give you tokens, like you put in your that arcade tokens, not quarters, but they're the same size, but they can only be used at the arcade. Yeah. So now picture you go in, you go, I'm going to get ten dollars worth of these coins so I could play these video games because you need to have those coins in order to play video games. And let's say, for instance, that there's only $50 worth of, only a certain amount of coins that are available, right? Similar to Bitcoin. And in order to play these video games, you're going to need these coins. So if another kid comes to the arcade and like the arcade's like, well, we're out, of, we're out of coins, you have to get it from someone else. Like this, someone else could go, well, Instead of giving me 25 cents a coin, give me 30 cents if you really want to play these video games. So the price of the coin goes up, right? So as more people have demand to play the video games. Well, the difference is, is that Bitcoin does have the utility to turn back into whatever currency you want to turn it back into. You can't, you can't, you can't take your token and have that returned for quarters. Well, no, you can't because you could sell it to someone else. That's the point that I'm making. You could sell your sure. coin. Because okay. I could sell my coins to someone else that wants to play a video game. But what happens when the video game shut off? What happens when the arcade goes out of business? You have a whole bunch of coins that have no utility to well, them. Well, we're, we're seeing it right now because Bitcoin is at its lowest point in a year right. and a half. But, but, the, but the price, the only reason why Bitcoin has a value is because other people think it has a value, even though it doesn't actually have the utility. The arcade is, doesn't exist. So as long as there's someone willing to convert the Bitcoin back to 
dollars or whatever car or whatever fiat currency yeah it will still retain value but like bitcoin in and of itself like if i get stuck in the middle of nowhere and i need a tow truck like Bit- bitcoin ain't gonna help me like, yeah i mean you, it, you can't keep you can't keep all your money in it of course right but it's but it's it, it, it gets back to to daily fantasy of of biases and why same thing with for probabilities why people don't take into account that the example of like Keenan Allen versus Julian Edelman of people they spend so much time so much time I'm on discords I'm in everything now in, in everything of is Keenan Allen going to do well on Sunday or insert player name, or is so-and-so going to do better than is Christian McCaffrey or Ezekiel Elliott? Who's going to do better? And right. I spend, it's not, it's not like I spend no time on that. I spend the basic amount of time. People ask me for NBA, what stats do you look at? I was like, I look at the same stats that you look at. Do you look at Vegas? I look at all of that. How much time do I do? I look at that for maybe seven minutes total. And then every other piece of time, I'm weighing the opportunities of everything else because you'd be much more accurate. Davis, if I had to ask you, like on this past slate, for instance, about Jalen Samuels and go, which would be more, you would be, if we had a bet on who would Mm -hmm. be more accurate uh, within 10% variability, you have to project his fantasy points. I have to project his ownership. Who do you think is going to be more accurate? Mm. If you, are you I mean, you, probably, probably. I in this specific example, I would actually say Samuel's was like pretty projectable, and like I actually think I actually think he he like almost actually dead hit his median projection. But I would say not in this specific example. If we ran this a hundred times on a hundred different players on a hundred different slates, the ownership projection would be way closer to being accurate than the median projection would. Right. So I mean, like. If I have to go, like, if I know a guy's going to be high-owned or somewhat owned or whatever, I could put a number. I could put, this guy's going to be about 15% owned. Most likely, I'm not going to open up uh, when it locks and he's going to be 38% owned. And most likely, he's not going to be 2%. It's not, my, my skill in knowing who people are going to play based on they look like good plays. And I may agree that they are good plays. But the goal in DFS, at its core... You have to think very similarly to poker where, uh, and same for any type of probability. We talked about how people don't know how to process probabilities. If I could give you Davis a 20 sided die and say, you could roll it and, uh, your number, you pick whatever number you want. And if you hit that number, you get a hundred to one return. Like you take my bet all the time, right? Cause it's a 20 to one shot that you'd be right, right but you're getting paid a hundred to one. But you know that you're going to be wrong 19 out of 20 times. Like, you're going to lose $5 yeah. 19 times, but the one time that you win, you get paid five times more than you should get paid. So when it comes to median projections and ranges of outcomes, you have to think in terms of not whether or not you're going to be right. It's whether or not you're going to be right and you're going to be paid more then you should be for being right. So when someone in a tournament is too highly owned for his likelihood of, quote, busting, 
or underperforming, like even if they do hit, you're actually in a negative EV spot because you're not getting paid enough, especially if, if, you're, play, if you're playing like the Millie Maker, if you're, depending on the payout structure of the GPP. Yeah. So that's why, like, we talk about in, quote, cash games, there's no upside in cash games. Like, coming in first doesn't win you any more. So you don't gain anything necessarily. For, for being all- that much more correct. That's correct. Right, exactly. Or hitting the upside. I played T.Y. Hilton, and he got what – he may have saved your lineup because you chose him and it protected other duds in your lineup. You're not, you're not getting coming in first at a double up is wasted points because you're not getting paid for that. But in tournaments playing like when people, when people say, Oh, so you're saying to like whoever's high owned, you, you fade them. I go as long, you only fade them as long as you believe that the return that you get from them is not, you're not getting paid for it. If we saw that Christian McCaffrey was minimum price at three K like, that's not Jalen Samuels at 3K. That's not Jeff Wilson at 3K. That's like someone that's going to be on the field. So, so how good – so, like, obviously Christian McCaffrey is never going to be minimum price, but how good of a median projection does, like, a super chalk guy have to be to want – for you to want to play him, whether it be NBA, whether it be NFL, whatever. Like, like how good would a, a play have to be to, like, justify – 70% ownership in tournaments and you playing him in your lineups. I'm going to say an answer that you're not going to like. It depends on the slate. It depends on who else is available. Well, this let's is why say, these let's questions say, aren't, aren't answerable. No, no. So, so we, can, we can come up with a good example for this and in, in something that like we've seen plenty of times before. And, and NFL will be most relatable to the listeners. So let's say it's not, it's not Jalen Samuels, right, who had the, the threat of Stephen Ridley. But we can even go back two weeks ago to the Spencer Ware game when Hunt was suspended. Ware was in there against the Raiders. I mean, he was like the fifth highest projected running back of the week basically. Uh, and I thought he was like a no brainer, lock him in hundred percent, every tournament lineup play. How did you like, what, how did you approach that Spencer Ware situation? I lock button him. Yeah. He was a lock button situation to me only because, uh, based on your lineup construction that you would to go, uh, there were no other cheap running backs that were worthy enough of taking that had, a high enough probability of reaching what would be maybe four X value or something. So you'd have to rely on a wide receiver for that. And that's, that's a disaster. 4k wide receivers are not all that reliable. And no, but that is, that is the answer though. That's how you create a lineup that is so different that basically you're, you're guaranteeing yourself a unique roster construction. If instead of Spencer, where you take, Deshaun Hamilton or Dante Pettis or whoever, and you just you know that six percent of the time when Ware busts and that guy doubles his bus score, you're basically locked into not only not only profit, you're locked into exponential profit where you are you what you were talking about, you are getting paid off way more than the percentage of times that you are right. You're getting paid off one hundred X as opposed to the eighteen X of like the expected probability. Right, but actually in that situation, I chose to play Spencer Ware because I believe that the payoff of not having him in, I think it was a plus EV situation of differentiating elsewhere only because the ownership would be so projectable in other spots as well. Like my attitude is, is not 
necessarily. I'm more inclined to eat the cheap chalk of that magnitude than eat the expensive chalk. Like I, I'm, if Michael Thomas is chalk, I I don't I don't play high priced chalk. Like high price high price wide receiver chalk. What about high price running back chalk? It, in tournaments, it, well, in tournaments you could do anything you want. And I mean, high price. Because there's not many of them. Like, that's the problem. Like, in running back, it's like there's they, – they could be three, they could be four. Like, I, like the, you play the one that if the ownership the, – you have to look at the delta in ownership, not just how high they're owned. If, if, is the, I'm using, obviously, this pass leg as an example. But, like, if Christian McCaffrey is 32% owned and Ezekiel Elliott is 27% owned, it's like – that's not enough of a difference that, like, well, I'm going to play Ezekiel Elliott because he's going to be lower. Like, just play the better play. Whoever you think is the better play, just play them. If Alvin Kamara is going to be 7% owned and he's in that range and you think he's going to be 7% owned, you could go, well, maybe I play Kamara with McCaffrey or with Elliott, but I use him because I think – but if Kamara ends up being 18% owned, it may not be worth it even at that delta. But then you look down the scale and you go, well, who in here can hit a high par- portion of their range? Because remember, media projections are just a range of outcomes. And you go, like, which, which guy? Which, which guy could do it that people aren't, aren't playing for whatever? Like, the difference is, that's why I make the Keenan Allen-Edelman difference. And they're similar types of receivers also. They're possession-based, low ADOT-ish type of receivers. Right. It, We'll see, like, one be 30% owned and one be 5% owned. Like, to me, those are the leverage points. And then seeing who's going to be popular, what positions they're in, and what constructions that you are. You don't – that's why, like, the example that I hear on so many podcasts of, like, well, this guy's going to be 60% owned. Uh, you, obviously, he's, he's the easiest one to fade. I'm like, well, he could also be the easiest one to give you a score that no one else at their price range could possibly give you at the higher end of their range, that it's better to just eat it then. As long as you feel, like if you're playing a, sing, if you're playing a, a single entry, like three entry, this is kind of counterintuitive. You'll hear the opposite advice. I'm more inclined to fade the highest chalk in a single entry field. As opposed to, to a, a 150 max? And uh, and it's not, and it obviously depends on the exact issue. Is it's more due to bias? Like like I said, I spend seven minutes thinking about what the players are going to do, predicting player performance. I spend the all the rest of my time how to exploit other people's biases. The same thing at a poker table of I'm spending most of my time not worried about whether or not I raise. So, with so break points. down break down your process for me. NBA slate, NFL slate. What what contests are you entering? What uh, how are, how many lineups are you making? Kind of just break down the uh, the Jordan Cooper process. Okay, well, I mean, I could like NBA probably the better example only because the projections are so much more. I would higher probability. I mean, NFL you get touchdowns, so everything goes all over the place. But if you if you play NBA, uh, yeah, NBA easier to talk about because it's more iterative. Right. And also with the injury news that comes out every day, value just pops up out of the, I mean, like you get, you get the Jalen Samuels, Jeff Wilson, Spencer Ware, like every day in the NBA, this guy's, you know, the highest usage guy in the team is sitting, you know, and then like everyone becomes a value. I mean, like, and then it just comes down to like what value is good value. 
Is this value better than that value? And it's like, you can make any lineup you want. But all I do is I look, I go, okay, what's, what's, what are the Vegas totals? What are the, I mean, I look at the bare basic information. I look at who's in, who's out. Oh, when this guy sits, then this guy gets a, a usage bump and all this type of stuff. But that's typically like all of that is what you'll find on like the podcasts and the articles. And like, to me, reading like Notorious's grind down on RG for NBA is like, is, is not must read content, but it's kind of like, like, this is the basic stuff. Like there's, there's nothing special in it, but it's like, that's the seven minutes of research of like, you no, know, he noticed the things that I noticed and any other good player would notice like, and it's not complicated when, you know, when Chris Paul is out, James Harden usage goes through the roof. And when he's back, you maybe don't play them together. I mean, like, it's the common stuff we see all the time. So looking at that and I go, okay, let me take a look. And what, what, what are the good plays today? What are their price points? What's the construction going to, oh, there's, there's, there's going to be a cheap $3,600 guard available. Yeah. At point guard. And they're a point guard only. So now that's going to take up your point guard spot. Is there any value at power forward? That is going to be that screams at you. No, there isn't. But there is at small forward. It's like small forward. I think one of these two 4K guys is can put up 22 to 25 points. So I'm like, okay, he'll be in my cash game lineup as of now. So I start putting this all together, and I go because of these two, the popularity of these two people. What is what are people going to be led to do? They're going to go well center. It's like, well, you take a look. It's like, oh, well, Whiteside's out, and they haven't priced Adebayo up enough, so I think maybe he's going to be popular. So I plug that guy in, and I go, I think the highest-owned player on the slate on the top end is going to be Anthony Davis. And you go, well, how do you know that? It's like because there's no value at power forward, and tell me what other power – you're going to pay up at power. People are going to pay up at power forward. As of now, obviously at six o'clock, news comes out and everything changes. That's the whole thing about NBA. Right. Uh, yeah. But, everything but that, everything changes in an hour. Right. So I see that like the all the value the popular value, which could still do fine. Like when I mean value, like if someone has is four K and they give you twenty five points, like that's great in double ups. Fine, play them. But it may not be good enough to win a big field GPP that night in NBA just getting 25 out of a four. I mean, you need a top 99.9 percentile score. So I take a look and I go, all the, all the value is in the guard spots. There's no value in power forward uh, other than some very risky players on the low end playing Marvin Bagley, hoping he gets 26 minutes against a team that can't rebound. Well, but does he get into foul trouble? There's a lot of risk there that people aren't going to look over there because they're just going to play pay up for Anthony Davis. So I look at that and I go, Okay, based on as long as nothing changes, this guard's going to be 30% owned, even in the big field GPP. This small forward's going to be 20-ish percent owned. And Anthony Davis is going to be the highest owned stud at maybe 22%. Maybe it's an eight-game slate or something. And I go, like, well, AD could put up a 50-point game, and, like, that's not good enough for an 11K salary for GPP. Yeah, so you're going – you're playing Russell Westbrook. You're playing – There you go. Giannis, right. You're playing – yeah, I mean, and that is, like – People, it is true, though, that in tournaments, people generally don't really think that way. Like, Anthony Davis is always way more owned than LeBron James. Unless LeBron has, like, uh, people play LeBron when there's, like, a narrative. So, like, people played him against Miami because 
you know, like whatever. He had the narrative with Wade. But people generally err on the side. Like Anthony Davis is a very good example because people just always play him. Right, but there's always there's, there's, there's a very high probability, more so than you think, of him going to the locker room. Even if he's not injured for the game, but missing the third quarter. Or there's, there's, there's more ways. For, it's, it's the ownership difference between, well, because people, people say, it's like, well, how do you play Russell Westbrook against this team? And I go, uh, the hashtag defense doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, they're, they're, th- this is what I need. This is what I was hoping we would get to. I need to know how much like defenses don't matter or like just disregarding matchups plays into your projection, lineup construction kind of stuff. Uh, like I said, the main way I play DFS as a game, it has nothing to do with sports. Like that's the secondary aspect of it. When people, when I hear people go like, who's going to get Jimmy Butler defense? I go, well, who cares? Jimmy but- well, I don't, I don't say who cares. No, I think it's the wrong attitude to get, say who cares. I care because if other people care, I care. Yeah. Now, Jimmy Butler may be Robert Covington, all the top defense. Who's gonna Here's get the thing. Jimmy Butler's not even good at defense anymore. That's like, and like, that's a, that's a, that's an edge in NBA is like figuring out like who people think is a good defender, but actually is not. And that's, right, but, that's a really good one because but Butler doesn't play defense anymore. But that's the point that I'm making is that like, even if we, we see it in NFL, like, I think we saw it this past week with like Richard Sherman, like, You'll hear people go like, "Who's going to get this cornerback coverage?" And go, "Well, do you do you understand that like NFL? T- if they want to get Michael Thomas the ball, they will set up a way to get him the ball." In the same way in NBA, where if they want Kevin Durant to get the ball away from Paul George, like they'll just have a high screen and get them the matchup that he wants. Like he will. The the edge is always in projecting how the defense influences the usage, not how the defense influences the efficiency. And that's true. That's true in basketball. That's true in football. That's true in anything. Yeah. But the biases, I look at the biases and go, if, if people I'm more likely, see, this is why I don't like talking about plays because players as who's a better play. So if you tell me, that uh, correctly, like we have the correct opinion that like those matchups, people outweigh that. And they go, well, this against this pass defense versus this rush versus this defender versus whatever. But let's say the field, the public actually thinks that and goes correctly goes, well, it's Michael Thomas and they'll find him the ball, whatever like that. And he's going to now be owned more than he should be. I'm going to go from the other end. Like some people don't play. Uh, they, they play. Uh, we, we see this with the Memphis Grizzlies sometimes. I mean, it's a very micro example of uh, uh, Jaron Jackson and J. Michael Green. Jaron Jackson is a fantasy beast as a yeah. power forward. The problem is he fouls too much. So like he's priced at 6K, but he's like, he could be a $7,500, $8,000 player if he stays out of foul trouble and plays 35 minutes, J. Michael Green is 4,500 and like he's the other. So, so which side of that do you take in tournaments? Do you take the side of like, Oh, I'm going to take the guy who is going to benefit from the foul trouble. No, I take the guy that other people are not going to take. 
I feel so like Jaron Jackson is always pretty owned, though. I feel like when well, I run, when I run, and, and I mean, here's here's a big difference between you and I. I don't make tournament lineups by hand. I do I do it all in um, either on Daily Roto's lineup optimizer or on Roto Grinders as lineup HQ, and I just exclude guys that I don't like, and I bump guys I do like, but I don't make any lineups by hand. No, but I I I I only make mid stakes lineups by hand, like. Uh, the, the lineups that I've won GPPs where I play three entries into like the 44, like I make those by hand. But when I play the, the, the 150 maxes, like I'm, I'm playing 50, 60 lineups, but I'm doing it with lineup HQ. But I'm you actually, this is something I would love with. This is what we're going to, this is what we're going to close with showdown. Got to talk about showdown with you because I don't actually, I assume you've been playing a fair bit and I like, I love showdown. So I want, first of all, your general thoughts on showdown as like a business model for DraftKings and if they view it as their future. And I guess, I mean, I don't play on FanDuel at all, but I know they have a version of it and how much are you relying at or looking at projections for showdown? Uh, showdown projections are worthless. To me, at least, I I, I, I like I like Showdown NFL. I, the pro the problem with with Showdown is you have to play, it, it's so important. It it it's you have to play it as a game. Drewby, Drewby gets yeah, it. Yeah, I mean he yeah he oh, gets Drew, it. Drewby is a go. I know. And eventually we will have Drewby on this show. Uh, probably actually on the paid feed. Probably on the Patreon. We are going to have Drewby on to talk about right. Showdown. I've, I've won Showdown also, so I'm I'm a Showdown person also. I got the Aldrich Robinson. I got his jersey because you got to play him in showdown. I mean, no Aldrich does. Robinson is definitely running a scheme where he and Cousins like are going all in on showdown through like some means. They have a cousin who who max like who like who maxes showdown slates and they get him the touchdowns. Right. Well, I got fifty k on the, the game that he had the two touchdowns, but he was three percent owned. But the thing is, the way the current showdown format is. Uh, until they change, if they change it, which may, it may be better if they did change it. Uh, your goal is not, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive. Your goal is not, if you're going to play what I call the $10 luck box, which is the only contest that I play. I play, so what I do is I do three handmade lineups in the $10 luck box, and then I do 20 entries in the $3 and the $1. Oh, well, I do tw- I typically do 20 entries into the $10 luck box and I hand make all 20 of them. Yeah. But I would, I would not hand make 20 showdown lineups. Yeah. But it's the same. It's to me, it's the same one. Cause basically I've, I've done your process that you do on your Patreon feed is very similar. Other than the fact of when you play that it's, it's so important. This is why people lose at DFS when they're good where they've, I've been playing for four years and I've never come close to winning a GPP is because you're playing the best plays and not playing the, the game of DFS. Yeah, in, in Showdown, you just got to be like, okay, this is here. Here, I will give away an edge that I talk about all the time on the Patreon. Basically, playing the highest price running back in Showdown is bad 70% of the time, the way that DraftKings scoring works. It's just, in general, you're not getting the return. You need them to score twice because, uh, like, Todd Gurley is always overpriced in these things. I have not played Gurley in Showdown yet. 
Or you especially not an, especially or or yeah or you do that or you go I'm going 100% Jordan Howard I'm going 100% Latavius Murray I'm going 100% Chris Carson those yep. are like really the only two ways to do it right but guess who had uh, Derrick Henry in the captain at seven out of twenty of their lineups did you win are you rich now no no because I didn't get I died because I had snowflake the whole point of that ten dollar contest is is that like you look at the if you look at the payout structure of that contest, yeah, you have to win. Right, you have to win. There's it's this is you a winner to, take all. So two times this year, I've been one v one, the perfect lineup, and I even remember the times that they were. It was the Chiefs Patriots showdown, and I was one v one. Chris Conley was in the winning lineup, and I had you know somewhat some loser or whatever in the Conley slot, and then the other one was the Miami Houston. Showdown slate, I think it was a Thursday night game, and I was 1v1 uh, Tyler Irvin in the slot versus Jordan Thomas, and the Jordan Thomas side was the winning side. And But, like, on those slates where I was literally 1v1, the absolute perfect lineup, I, like, I broke even just because right. that's the way those – you have to get the absolute nuts. Right, which means that if you're taking players in your lineups, and people are going to take this advice too far, and I'm going I'm to explain the second part. If you If you – if it locks and I flip over and look at the, my line of the ownership percentages, and if everyone is over 20%, there's no chance that you have alone the first place. Like, like if, if it's over how, 20%. I wonder how many times even a, a single lineup has won those. Like, I think it's we, probably, it before. I bet it's, pre, I bet it's like 10% of the time tops though. Right. But the, the point, the second point is, is that your goal, if, your goal is to win. Is to, it, these, these contests are negative EV unless you're shooting for first place. So if you're going in, going, I'm going to take the best plays and then put in uh, a defense. Like, if you open up the thing and it, everyone's over 25%, you've now lost money. There's no, like, if you come in first, it'll be a 72-way tie. You're going to get paid $1,400. And a lot of people say, well, but if that's, that's being right, like, that's the whole option of, well, I like $1,400 for a $10 lineup. I go, yeah, but you're not getting paid the return. Right. You're rolling a 20-sided die and getting paid 12 to 1 on being right. I'd rather be wrong most of the time. But when I'm right, like, be tied I seven smash. ways. Right, yeah, but I know I may, I may not be the only one with this lineup, but I may be only Five Ooh, people have. Who's going to play? Who's people are playing Dion Lewis because he has he's better than Derrick Henry at least for fantasy scoring. So I looked at that. I look at a showdown slate the same way that I described before. Who are other people going to play? And I need to. How often do I need to be right in order to describe when Dion Lewis is fifty percent and Derrick Henry is twenty four percent? And then like there's no chance that they're going to put Derrick Henry for PPR scoring in the captain spot. And I go, well, this is a garbage game. So maybe there's just a lot of running. Someone breaks off a big play. And like, no one, I'll play both. I'll play Kessler. I'll play, I played Kessler and O'Shaughnessy. So I didn't, I didn't, I played that angle. And I still played Fournette because I figured even at 12K. So that was, that's a, that's like the thing that you got to do. I actually disagree with you a little bit. I think that uh, you need to try and tell yourself a story with these lineups. And like, that's a good way to approach showdown is being like, okay, this is how I think this game is going to go. So if you think that if you have a Derrick Henry lineup, you should not have Leonard Fournette in there because you're, you're expecting 
the Jaguars to pass the whole game. You're not expecting Fournette to get 28 carries. And because Fournette's such a plotter, like you should have had Kessler or Westbrook. No, no, I, I should have. There was different 2v2 that I could have had. But that's not the story that I'm telling. You're, you're still talking about sports. I'm talking about we're on a, such a garbage slate. That See, I a- think I, I, I do totally agree with your approach. Like, I think that your approach is good. And if you take that that way, you do have a, you have an equally good chance of hitting the unique good lineup as the approach that I talk about on my shows, which I, I think, and it, it's a mix of both game theory. Cause I will always give game theory plays on those shows being like, okay, look, we just, we're not going to take Kyle Rudolph because it makes no sense to play a 30% on Kyle Rudolph when he hasn't hit 20 DraftKings points all year. So we're just going to flat exclude him, but I will apply a little bit of football logic being like, well, yeah, the game playing, is going to go this way. You're playing core, but that's that's correlations. Yeah. What I was what I was saying with the the Fournette play was that this slate is so bad that that Fournette, the correlations don't matter. Not, not even that the correlations don't matter is that Fournette even at twelve is not going to pay off twelve k, but his fourteen raw points because I have Derrick Henry so uniquely in the captain that I'll take the fourteen raw points from Fournette and then hope. O'Shaughnessy and Cita Kessler is the tight end touchdown, and there you go. And then I, I wouldn't show down that way rather than fade Fournette for and then leave 4K on the table because who else am I taking raw points-wise that I think is even going to – but that's, that's the reason why I like DFS in general is that every slate is different. Every hand in poker is different. It's not – do you raise with ace queen under the gun or do you do It's like, well, who's at the table? What time of day is it? Is this guy tilting? How, how, what are the stack sizes? Everything's always going to be different. And in DFS, you get that in every sport every day. So there aren't any definitive answers. Davis, you could play a lineup in showdown in NBA and NFL. And I look at it and I go, well, we're three V three. And I think you have a sharp lineup and you'd look at my lineup and go, we're 3v3, and I think you have a sharp lineup because you could understand why I played the people yeah, that I played. Yeah, it's all about understanding the logic behind it. Right. But when you have lineups that have no – when people play GPPs and just scatterbrain have no, no like, logical sense of, like, you see in baseball a lot of times that GPP oh, winners – in baseball, in baseball, I'm pretty certain that if you were just like, look, I'm not even going to look at median projections – I'm just going to I'm just going to stack five guys from whatever I'm going to throw a dart, I'm going to land on a team and I'm going to stack those guys against X pitcher. You probably would get like at least one good tournament score a year. Right, just especially because ba- baseball is is just a random luck variance fest sometimes. Yeah, but that's the reason why the good GPP players are as when how do they know to take the Phillies? It's like yeah. because they're they're it's the price, like their stack price was so low in comparison to the ownership difference when everyone's taking the Indians at high ownership and high right. pricing. And it's like they didn't, those people, because people are trying to find the answers of what did they see in the Phillies? And I go, they didn't see even a team name. They saw a two to five batting order stack that was 14K that was going to be three times less owned that against a, fairly below average pitcher in a fairly decent ballpark and said, why not build a hundred lineups around it? 
and you're trying to figure out why Reese Hopkins hit a home run. They're not looking at that. They're looking at why do you think Aaron, jo- Aaron Judge has four times more likelihood to hit two home runs than Reese Hopkins? And if you're going to think that, then I'm not going to play it. But if right. everyone thought the opposite, they would play. That's the point that I'm making. Is like if, if the entire public thought that so-and-so was a bad play, that makes me more likely to hope on the instance that he does do. Yeah. Are right, you want to you wanna plug anything before we get out of here? Well, my Twitter, Blender HD. I always have to say it that way, even though it's Blenderhead, but whatever. It, and if you want to bug him, you're always in the Rotowire Slack, right? I'm in everything, so whatever. And I do periscopes where I yell at people, so feel free to whatever. This is the main basic reason why if I yell at you for stupid questions, the stupid questions are, like, is so-and-so a good play? And it's like, until you would have to explain a half an hour of how you play DFS for me to then go, well, that makes logic based on what, how you play. So I don't care whether or not Marcus Smart versus Jalen Brown. Like, either is fine. If you want to make one choice and I want to make one choice, that's fine. But I'm not going to spend five minutes breaking down how they dribble the ball. All right, if you guys, if you guys like this, maybe uh, Jordan and I will do uh, – well, maybe we'll do one behind the, uh, the paywall. Uh, maybe maybe we'll do like some more specific strategy insights behind uh behind the paywall at some point. But yeah, follow him at Blender HD and uh, check him out on the RotoWire Soccer Podcast.